Alright, the name of the sermon today is called what? History test. Very good, you're paying attention. The name of the sermon is called History Test. I don't know about you, but history was something that I really enjoyed when I was going to school. In fact, when I was in college, art history played a, a very special role in my interest of Christianity. And so the name of today's sermon is called History Test. Some of you guys know, about a couple weeks ago, I had gone to England, and I went there to do a week of prayer. It was a black church and an Indian church that came together for this week of prayer and took place in Manchester. Now, Manchester is a very interesting place. There's a, a, a lot there. I'm going to be sharing a little bit about some of the things that I encountered there. But here's something I just want to... I'm going to be asking a lot of questions, so, okay? So expect to, I expect you to raise your hand or, or maybe say the answer, okay? Now, here's the first thing I want to ask you, right? What is the UK? What did you say? Well, I know it's the United Kingdom. But what country makes up the UK? That's right. It's not just England. You have Ireland. You have Wales. These all make up the United Kingdom. That's why it's called the United Kingdom. One of these countries is England. Right there, okay? And uh, I got to do the week of prayer there in England. I'm going to show you some of the pictures right now. This was on Sabbath morning. This was just the Indian church. But again, I also spoke at a bigger church during the entire week. A lot of good people there in England. I was really blessed. In fact, I'm not going to lie to you. When I was going to England, I was kind of making fun of the English people, kind of doing the English accent all the way up to there. And I was just thinking about, you know, some of the stereotypes that you get about the English people. But let me tell you this. I have left that place very impressed with English culture. Very impressed. And I'll share why in just a little bit. But there is a lot of good people there, and I was really blessed by just their courtesy and their love for Jesus. One of the things you notice about England is that England is a combination of both the old and the new. In fact, what you'll find is, is that there were certain buildings that were in existence before a certain year. They were not supposed to be torn down. So what you'll find in England, you'll find a lot of ancient architecture, and you'll find a lot of modern buildings as well, side by side by side. It's a very interesting site when you're there in England. In fact, you'll find some of the housing very small compared to our houses. Some of the living rooms are just the size of a, just a small room. These houses are all very similar. Um, these buildings are all ancient, and it's very interesting. Everything is a little bit smaller in England. The cars are smaller, the tires are smaller, the houses are smaller. Everything is just a little bit smaller. In fact, here's something I also noticed very interesting about the English people. When I was in England, people ate a lot of food. I mean, they ate a lot of food, like mountains of food. Like during potluck, I mean, this person just had this like mini Mount Everest on their plate. And they were just eating all this food. I mean, I went out with some of the people, and I went to a restaurant, and we ate what was called English chips. Do you guys know what English chips are? Yeah, it's French fries. That's what it is, or English fries. But here's the thing. I went out with my friends, and we had some fries at this restaurant. And then after we're done eating, we're just like, you know, let, they're like, let's go out and let's, get, let's go to an Asian restaurant. And I'm just like, I'm so full. But they eat so much food. But here's the unusual thing. They're very thin. The people there are very thin. They eat so much food, they're still thin, though. 
And I was just amazed by that, and just lets us know something about some of the American diet that's in existence. And that's why next week is so important. Does anybody know who this lady is? That is Queen Victoria. She's also covered in bird droppings as well. She's in the middle of the Manchester Square, and uh, she's a, a lady, a political figure who's very revered. Now, in, the, in, in, in England, um, the, the royalty is not so much of a political power as they are a figurehead. But you'll see some of the transportation that was there as well. And it was very interesting riding on a train. Someone's wrong with this clicker, okay. And you'll also notice that, um, what is this building? I can do the clicking, no need to do the clicking, so. Okay, what is this building? Big Ben, that's exciting. It's a lot bigger in person, I guarantee you that. And you'll also notice this. Now this is very interesting, this is a mall. Can you guys see that word with me? Mall, that's exactly right, it's a mall. And uh, it, this is actually just sort of modeled after the Titanic. Very interesting. A lot of people there, they have a, a, a really big food court there, and guess what foods are there? Which fast foods are there? Yes, McDonald's is there, Taco Bell. You know they only have actually three Taco Bells in England? You know, I was eating South Indian food nearly every single day. And uh, I, I was just asking them, I said, so where's the Taco Bell around here? And they said, a what? And they said, I said, a Taco Bell. They said, well, there's only actually three of them in existence all of England. I said, you should come to America. There's one in every single street corner. It was just amazing what you see over there, all the things that take place. Now, that's also Westminster Abbey. And this Ferris wheel is actually called the Eye of London. Now, I spoke the entire week at, in, London, in England, but then one day I visited London. And in one day, I saw Stonehenge. I saw Westminster Abbey, Big Ben, the British Museum for several hours, Buckingham Palace, and by the very end of it, and the London Bridge and the Tower of London, by the very end of it, I was like this, just walking back to the train station. And I fell asleep, and we took the car ride. It took us about four, or five, four and a half hours to get back to Manchester. But there was so much in England. And again, I really appreciate the culture that's there. One of the unique things that I also found out about England is that there are museums and art galleries everywhere. And many of these places are free, absolutely free. So when I would go to these museums and just journey back into time, I would also see a lot of teachers there with their kids. And this is very interesting. England really believes in education. Now, before this new government took, aboard, took over, they made education as accessible as possible. And the fruit of education was the retaining of culture. And so that country be believes very much in culture. And there's just this general overall courtesy of people and respect of people. Now, one of the things I also got to see was Stonehenge. Anybody ever been to Stonehenge? It's very interesting. There's a lot of mysteries concerning this monolithic site. But one of the mysteries is, is how those rocks got on top. Those rocks are several tons, extremely heavy, and these rocks are, have been quarried from miles away. Now, there's some speculation that these things were just towed and that they were taken, you know, over these very just simple vehicles and through all this arduous, arduous hard work. But the mystery lies in exactly what Stonehenge was used for. Just a few years ago, they discovered that this was almost like a calendar. But not just a calendar predicting the winter solstice, there was a lot of human sacrifices discovered near Stonehenge. So there, this was also connected to a lot of 
paganism as well. Very interesting. Very interesting. One of the things you, I also encountered while I was in England was this. This is what's called the British Museum. This place is just gargantuan. It is absolutely huge. And when you get there, you are taken back into history. There's a lot of artifacts that I saw in history books growing up. I saw it with my very own eyes. I'm going to show you some of the things that I saw. And this is just one quarter of that building. Very big. Now, this is a very special artifact. Does anybody know what artifact this is? The Rosetta Stone. Now, the Rosetta Stone is very important. Why? Because we, never was a, we were never able to understand hieroglyphics, Egyptian writing, until the Rosetta Stone was discovered. And what they found when they discovered this stone that was uh, produced by Ptolemy's time was that it had three languages. It had what was called the Egyptian hieroglyphics. hieroglyphics. You also had the Greek language, and you also had what's called Demotic. And this was basically like a way of translating from the Greek into the Egyptian to different cultures. By this artifact, we now are able to understand hieroglyphics. This was the key to understanding hieroglyphics. And this Rosetta Stone, I saw it with my very own eyes. It was just a very interesting sight. And there you can see some of the writings. And there's two wild animals there in that picture. And uh, one of the things I also noticed when I was in England was this. Is that, you know, when you go to museums in America, they have a lot of the structures that are there. And they're usually, you know, uh, fenced off or they're in a giant glass case. But they had a lot of these Egyptian stones and artifacts that were just out there. And these kids were running around, jumping on top of these things. And I was like, that would not take place in America. And it was so interesting just to see how the English people really believe in this idea of touching and feeling and having this tangible experience with history. Very important. Now, this is very interesting, too. Now, this is a, a, a very interesting statue of a certain pharaoh. Okay? And this pharaoh's name was Emhotep. Now, one of the very interesting things about this individual, this was the king or the pharaoh that took over after the time of Moses, is what most scholars believe. The pharaoh that existed during the time of Moses was somebody called Thutmoses. And this individual took over. Now, one of the un unusual things about this, this individual right here is that during his reign, it was considered very peaceful, very docile. He was not a warlike pharaoh. Apparently, Egypt had been utterly destroyed politically, financially, after a mysterious event that took place. Well, we know from biblical history it was because of the plagues that utterly devastated Egypt. But this was the pharaoh that took over after that time. And the scholars do the best they can. Sometimes Egyptian archaeology and chronology is just notorious for being confusing. But there's a lot that actually can be understood. Now you can see some of the gods that the Egyptian cultures, uh, that they, they worship. And this was also very interesting. Does anybody know what this is? And don't tell me, a rock in a glass case. Who knows what this is? It's not a meteor. <laughs> Here, I'll give you a better picture. You're looking at the goatee of the Great Sphinx. That's why he doesn't have one. It was broken off. And archaeologists took it and they placed it in the British Museum. 
So some people believe that Napoleon's army was responsible for that. So it's very interesting. There you have it right there. So I haven't gone to Egypt yet. That's also on the bucket list. But you see the, uh, the great sphinx right there, his little hair, goatee that kind of hangs down. Where's Robert? Robert used to have one of those right there. Put that in a glass case too for you. Okay. And there you also have uh, how the pharaohs were able to keep track of the Egyptian chronology. Now one of the things to understand, and I really appreciate this, is that the Bible does not lie about human weakness. Can you say amen to that? Now that's one of the great things, I think, evidence for the uh, biblical, you can say, uh, trustworthiness, because when you look at Egyptian chronology, they tend to hide the most devastating things that took place. So for example, if a pharaoh had done some very bad things, the writers at that time would make sure that no one coming off into future generations would know about it. So they did a good job about hiding some of the mistakes of Pharaoh. In fact, whenever a Pharaoh did not like a previous Pharaoh, you know what he would do? He would utterly destroy any artifacts belonging to that Pharaoh. Now remember I talked to you about one particular Pharaoh. His name was Emhotep. He's the Pharaoh that took over after Thutmosis. Thutmosis died in the, in the parting of the Red Sea. Do you want to know why his firstborn son didn't take over? Why do you think the second son took over? Read Exodus and you'll find out why. But do you know who was Thutmose's mom? Hashefsut. Very interesting lady. That's what scholars believe was Moses' mom. In fact, outside the biblical record, this woman was very prominent in Egyptian society. And she, they say she became the most female you know, first female pharaoh. But one of the things to notice is that by the time that pharaoh took over, the pharaoh of the, of the Exodus, he had utterly destroyed a lot of artifacts belonging to Shevsut because they believed that she was bringing in a reform to Egyptian culture and she was just a little bit out of the box. So the pharaohs that came afterward made sure they destroyed any remnant of who she was. So when you look at a lot of statues of this lady... Her face is completely destroyed. The chronology of hers just broken off. It's very interesting how the Egyptians did a lot of things. This is also a Syrian culture as well. And there you can see sort of this half God or half man, half animal creatures that existed. These were their perceptions of God. Extremely big, very monolithic, huge uh, pieces of uh, statues. And there you see more of the Assyrian gods that were also at the British Museum. Now here's... Uh, here is a, a monument of King Thutmose III. This is supposed to be the pharaoh of the Exodus. It's very interesting. I did some study into this pharaoh. Did you know a lot of artifacts, archaeology has been discovered about this pharaoh? And many of this archaeology shows him to be a very prideful king. He was a king that was known to be the most strongest man in all his military. He could command things and utterly destroy nations. And so when God was dealing with him in the book of Exodus, you can see why this Pharaoh would constantly harden his heart over and over and over again. This Pharaoh had a lot of pride. And this is not coming strictly from a biblical record. They're looking at extra biblical material. And they said there was something unusual about this Pharaoh. He seemed to be full of himself. And this is also uh, an Egyptian coffin. And there you could touch it. You know, I was trying to move it. It was a little too heavy. But you can see all the very intricate 
designs that are there. The Egyptians had some very unusual beliefs about the afterlife. When we read the scriptures, you can see very clearly what the scriptures are teaching in regards to the state of the dead. But the Egyptians had a very interesting influence even on modern day society. The Bible teaches that the dead know nothing. And it's only at the second coming that we can find the hope. And that's why Jesus and Paul taught that we should look forward to the second coming. Can you say amen to that? It's called the blessed hope for a reason. Now this is a very interesting mummy. Does anybody know who this is? This is a female. You are looking at the mummy of Cleopatra. The mummy of Cleopatra. Yeah, you got a point right there. Okay. The mummy of Cleopatra. Very interesting. Cleopatra, Cleopatra uh, had an affair with Mark Anthony and they tried a uh, betrayal of, of the Caesar. So it's very interesting. And there, right there in the British Museum is her mummy. And this is very interesting. Now this is a very interesting artifact. What does that look like to you? What does that look like to you? Okay, take a good look. Someone says Satan. But take a good look. There's actually, there's actually two pieces in there. Okay, tell me if you can tell what one of those pieces are. A ram? Do you know, it's not a seahorse, it's a ram. <laughs> it's got legs. What do you notice is the second thing in that picture? Those aren't horns. A what? Someone said it. It's, it's, not, it's a thicket. Do you know this ancient artifact is not a Christian artifact, it's not a Jewish artifact, and it's entitled Ram Caught in the Thicket. Do you know where it's from? Ur of Chaldees. Do you know why that's very interesting? Because that's the region that Abraham came from, right? And sure enough, there was probably some influence that came out of Abraham. You saw some of the Canaanites were probably converted. And they brought back the story. And so there you have an ancient artifact that's entitled Ram Caught in the Thicket. When Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, what did God tell him? What? Don't do it. God will provide. Abraham looked and what did he see? A ram caught in the thicket. It's from Ur of Chaldees. Very interesting. And it's dated around the time of Abraham. You're looking at Philistine pottery right here. Many times, many years, archaeologists and anthropologists said there's no such thing as the Philistine nation. The only mention of them is in the Bible until they discovered Philistine archaeology. So there you see the great things about the Bible. The great thing I appreciate about the Word of God is that the Bible is a real book about real people who had real experiences, who were from real locations, who had a real encounter with the real God. Can you say amen to that? This isn't like the Bhagavad Gita, you know, a, a sort of a Hindu mythological book where many of the names, 98% of the names are made up. It's mythology. The Bible is something that's verifiable. Can you say amen to that? And for me, when I was becoming a Christian, this was extremely important because I needed something that I could verify and check out for myself. And history has proven that over and over and over again. Now, what you're looking at here, does anybody know what this is? Have you ever heard of the Code of Hammurabi? You're looking at it right now. The Code of Hammurabi is very important because a lot of archaeologists and anthropologists in studying the laws of Moses see a lot of similarities. So there was a lot of influence. But it also was very interesting because this showed writing that was existing around the time of Moses. So, now does anybody know what this is? Who knows what this is? If you guess, you'll get a free pie at potluck. There's some greater motivation now. 
It's not the Dead Sea Scrolls. I'll give you a clue. It's from Babylon. It's Babylonian. It's it's not a scroll, obviously. (laughs) It is... It's not the Constitution. (laughs) It is, sorry about that, the Tablet of Gilgamesh. The Epic of Gilgamesh. You know why that's so interesting? Oh, you got it right there. Okay, very good. You'll get an extra piece of pie at Potluck. So, let's keep going, everyone. Let's keep going. (laughs) Okay, now does anybody know what this is? You are actually looking at a brick imprint from Nebuchadnezzar. You're looking at it. And you know what's so interesting about this? In this brick imprint that was all over Babylon, when they found these things strewn all over Babylon in modern-day Iraq, you know what they discovered? Many of these imprints had Nebuchadnezzar's name, his title, and his boasting. Do you remember what his boasting was? Is this not great Babylon that I have created? It's exactly out of the book of Daniel. See, that's the great thing about the Bible. This is why you can trust the Word of God. Is because this stuff is verifiable. It's real events that took place. Can you say amen to that? Word of God is powerful. Now, what you're also looking at is the, what's called the Nebuchadnezzar Cylinder. Now, what's interesting about that is that in this cylinder, it was describing the time Nebuchadnezzar's dad went and conquered a particular city. It was actually a Jewish city. That's exactly the biblical record. See, not only does the Bible verify this, but then you have an extra biblical artifact that says the exact same thing. Just amazing. You know what this is? This is the cylinder of Cyrus. You want to know why this is so interesting? Because in this cylinder, Cyrus gives a very interesting decree. You know what his decree was? He was telling different groups to go home and to rebuild their temples to their God. Do you know because of this cylinder is why we have understanding about the 70-week prophecy? Because it was the time to go and rebuild Jerusalem. The Jews were given permission by Cyrus the king strictly out of scripture. And here you have it right there in this cylinder. Cyrus is giving a command, go home and rebuild your temples. Very interesting. This is Ptolemy, one of the uh, generals of Alexander the Great. Alexander the, Alexander the Great died. His kingdom was split into four, and four of his generals took over. One of them was Ptolemy. This thing actually exists. Can you believe it? It's a crystal skull. Now, for a long time, this was believed to be something from South America, until recent um, research has shown this actually came from Europe. But it's a very interesting artifact. It's called the crystal skull. There's some African artwork. I'm always amazed by African artwork, and it's very interesting design. Also saw a picture of Minerva. Anybody ever seen this in textbook and history books? Yeah, you're looking at it. If you ever have the chance to go to the British Museum, I mean, it was such a blessing. I was so blessed to be there. Does anybody know what this is? Well, I know what it is, what's it des- describing, but does anybody know what it actually is? Who knows what this is? I'll, just, I'll tell you this. It was transported from a coast, the Easter Island heads. That's exactly right. You actually have an Easter Island head that was there. Okay. Now, this is very interesting. This is a a, a statue of Thutmosis, too. uh, Barbara got a little close to his beard. (laughs) Okay. All right. And here's an emperor right here. He was Guy, I think this was Gaius Caesar. And there you can see some more 
um, Egyptian artifacts. You see the little kids right there? I mean, you, they were just going up touching these things. I mean, these are, it's very interesting just to see the unique beliefs that the Egyptians have. In fact, pretty soon I'm going to be doing a series on Egypt in preparation for a series on a new look at the Sunday Law. I think it's going to be very, it's going to be very interesting. A new look at the Sunday Law. Okay. Does anybody know what Pharaoh this is? Not Ramses. I'll give you a hint. It's an extremely famous King Tut. You're looking at King Tutankhamun right there. Not so common in America, amen? Okay, now here's something that was very interesting. Out of my entire experience in England, now pay attention to this. This was such a treat to me. I was so blessed by what took place. I felt this was totally a God thing. I flew from San Francisco about 10 hours all the way to Amsterdam. Okay? From Amsterdam, I flew all the way to England. When I was in Amsterdam, I was sitting there and I was beginning to witness to this Englishman. It was a very interesting conversation. And the English people have a very strong command of language. So I was always thinking to myself, I got to be one up on them. Got to be one up on them. And so many times I actually was, I was having a difficult time understanding a lot of the English language because they speak so softly and so quickly. And so I was like, what? You know, so... And what was interesting, as I was talking with this Englishman, I was right next to him, he was like, what are you doing in England? And I said, well, I'm going to be sharing a seminar, I'm going to be talking about the Bible, why you can trust the Bible as the word of God. Now, what was so interesting, he was listening to me and he was asking all these questions. I said, one of the very interesting artifacts proving the scriptural authority and accuracy is that the Bible actually has a lot of manuscripts to back it up. Not just one or two. We're talking thousands upon thousands of documents. And I said, did you know, not too long ago, there was an artifact or a manuscript that was discovered. It was a fragment. It was something called the John Ryland Scroll. The John Ryland Scroll is a portion of John chapter 18. It's dated A.D. 125. Do you know the book of Revelation was written A.D. 90? Which is very interesting. Now, I'm not sure if John, you know, was able to live till he was like 90-something years old and, you know, was able to pen this, possibly. But either way, it was roughly around that time. That is just a few years before the very last of the disciples passed away. And I was telling him about this, and he says, You mean John Ryland? I said, Yeah, he's the one that discovered this. He said, do you know the John Ryland's library is located in Manchester? I was like, are you kidding me? He's like, no. When I got to Manchester, it was just a few blocks away. It was so amazing because I was looking at the oldest New Testament document available. You are looking at the John Ryland scroll. Do you know what's so interesting about this? Is that this is actually the oldest New Testament document we have on date and there is a portion of John chapter 18. Do you know what John chapter 18 is? It is when Jesus is talking with Pilate. And you know what Pilate says at the very end? The very end of this, Pilate says, what is truth? And walks away. That is the oldest fragment we have of the New Testament available. I saw it with my own eyes. What a witness to a world that has lost sight of what truth is. What a witness. It's so powerful. I was so blessed when I was there. Look what Ellen White says right here. We have nothing to fear for the what? Future except as we forget the what? The way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our what? Past history. 
The great thing that I learned about the English culture is that they are a group of people that try to retain the history. Unfortunately, today in America, we're destroying much history. We're destroying a lot of the things that have made us a very special nation. But more than that, even as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventists, we have lost sight many times of the pilgrims and the pioneers and the, the, the reformers that laid the foundation for us to get here. Why we have this beautiful truth today is because of the men and women who went before us. Can you say amen to that? We need to have an understanding of how God has grown this church. Otherwise, it will be to our peril if we forget our history. It will be to our peril. The reason why nobody has an understanding of the future or even the present is because they've taken the history and they sort of booted it out. That's why when you read the book Great Controversy, the very first half of the chapter is establishing all the Protestant reformers from John Wycliffe all the way to Martin Luther, and you see John Huss and Jerome. Why? Because trying to make the argument that our church, that God has raised up a group of people who are trying to carry the Protestant Reformation a step further. Can you say amen to that? Now you might be somebody who has walked away from the church or you might be somebody who's coming back or you're here for the first time, but I want to let you know God has brought you for a special time as this. Can you say amen to that? And we as God's people must never forget the great hope that we have in the second coming of Jesus. Amen? The second coming of Jesus. And one of the great things you find is that God has given us something very special. He has given us something very special to participate in, and that's something called praise and thanksgiving. Can you say amen to that? And God has given us praise and thanksgiving because it is a way of drawing our minds outside of ourselves and our world to heaven. Amen? It's a way of looking outside of who we are and the clouds that hang over us and looking to that promised hope that is ever before us. Praise and thanksgiving calls us out of who we are. Can you say amen to that? And the Bible says, this is the will of God concerning you, giving thanks. So when you're praying for the will of God, you know what the very first thing you can understand about the will of God? is to give thanks. It's to give praise and honor and glory to God. Can you say amen to that? When you take a good look at praise and thanksgiving, you can find in scripture that praise and thanksgiving pushes Satan away. You know what's very interesting? When you read the book Patriarchs and Prophets, Ellen White, she says something very interesting. She says that whenever Lucifer calls one to fall, that him and his angels sing hellish hymns. Hellish hymns. When you read Ezekiel chapter 28, you find that Lucifer was a musician. So it would obviously make sense. But I love what the Bible says in Micah. Rejoice not over me, my enemy, for when I fall, I will rise again. Can you say amen to that? We ought to be a group of people that when we're feeling gloomy or down, we just lift up a song to Jesus. Amen? We lift up a time of thanksgiving. And I don't care if, if you're somebody who wants to just, you know, oh, you know, I want to praise the Lord, fine. Or if you're somebody that like, likes to just the uh, Scott Wind marching to Zion type singing, as long as you're doing it, amen? And you're drawing your attention to the one who deserves all praise and honor and glory to God. Can you say amen to that? Folks, this is so important for us to understand. Now, I know right now that Satan is trying to distract us. You hear what I just said? 
Because he knows that his power is broken when we are returning praise and thanksgiving to God. Even Saul, King Saul, who has just had this gloomy cloud over him. Over and over again, David would come and play and sing beautiful songs. And Saul was lifted up. And he was able to get focused again. Folks, whenever we feel down, we feel that saying has just cast a shadow over us. Let us lift up a song to God. Let us choose to give glory to God. Can you say amen to that? Another thing to understand, now this is very important, is that praise and thanksgiving is important for us. You want to know why? Because it gives hope, pay attention to what I'm about to say, hope to the future generations. You hear what I just said? Praise and thanksgiving gives hope to the future generations. When you read Israelite history, what you will discover is that over and over again, God told the Israelites, set up memorial stones. Set up memorial stones. And as you set this up, your children are going to walk by one day and they're going to say, what are these memorial stones for? And you're going to be able to say, this was because of God's thanksgiving, because of God's deliverance, and we give him praise and honor for his goodness to us. Giving praise and honor and thanksgiving to God, giving God that response he deserves, folks, it shows the generations that come after us the hope that we have. Unfortunately, we're living in a day in society where the future generation doesn't know about the miracles of God. They don't know about the goodness of God. Even Gideon said during his time, he said, where are all those things the father has, fathers have shown us about the miracles of God? He came from a generation where the forefathers failed in showing the miracles and the goodness of God. Folks, we have become a generation like that, and that's why the future generation knows nothing about the goodness of God. It's extremely important that we gather our children every night, and we gather our family, and we just say, God, we want to give you thanks for all that you have done for us, and your children will know about the goodness of God. If God does something special for you, make sure you tell your family as the very first group of people. Amen? Not your best friend, not Facebook. Your family, amen? My family goes on Facebook. No, you need to talk to them. They need to know. And the more they will know, they will not forget. And in their minds will be planted the memories of what God has done. When you read the story of Joseph, do you want to know why Joseph was so faithful? Why when he was completely separated from his family, he was able to endure Egyptian society? Because of the stories his father had told him about the goodness of God. He never forgot it. And when the time came for Jacob to be tested, he passed the test. And Joseph never forgot these lessons. Folks, listen to me when I'm saying this. It's extremely important you learn to give thanksgiving and praise to God in front of your family. Can you say amen to that? Another thing is this. And I love what Ellen White says right here. It's so beautiful. She's quoting from Psalm 50, verse 23. Whoso offereth praise, says the Creator, glorifies who? Me, the Lord. Psalms 50, verse 23. All the inhabitants of heaven unite in praising who? God. Let us learn the song of the angels tomorrow. No, it's tomorrow. Now. That we may sing it when we join their shining rakes. You know what God is preparing us for when we're learning how to praise God? He's preparing us for heaven. Folks, we're not going to get to heaven as foreigners. We're going to get to heaven as people who've already lived in the atmosphere of heaven. 
And that's why when it's, it's important now to learn to praise God and give Him thanksgiving. And by the way, let me ask you a question. Do you know the difference between praise and thanksgiving? Thanksgiving, you eat turkey. Okay. All right. Let's try that one more time. Okay. What is the difference between praise and thanksgiving? Okay. And what do you think thanksgiving is? Excellent. We had, we had said perfectly. Praise, and, all, and these terms sometimes overlap, but praise, generally speaking, is praising God for who He is. Thanksgiving is praising God for what He has done for you. Now, let me show you a, a case in point. Take your Bible. Let's go to Psalms chapter 92. Psalms chapter 92. So, right, if we're a little late for potluck, we ate a lot on Thursday. Amen? Enough to last us at least two weeks. Okay. Let's go to Psalms 92. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. Start with verse 1. Page 570 in your seminar Bibles. Psalms 92, starting with verse 1. It is good to what? Give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to who? Your name, O Most High. Now watch what he says. To declare your loving kindness where? In the morning. Now watch this. And your faithfulness when? Every night. You know why that's so important? Because you're taking a good look at David's prayer life right here. He would praise what in the morning? The loving kindness. Now, loving kindness, what is that? When, is loving kindness a thing or an attribute? It's an attribute. So here he is. He's giving praise to God in the morning. And at night, what is he praising God for? His faithfulness. So you know what he is seeing in faithfulness? The actions of loving kindness. So in the morning, he's starting his prayer life just praising the Lord for who he is and for his character and for his love and for his mercy. And throughout the day, he is seeing the effects of these things. And at night, he's giving God thanks. He said, Lord, I remember when I sinned during the day, you were forgiving me. I remember when I needed help, you provided for me. So in the morning, he praised God for who he was. And at night, he gave thanks for what God did for him. In the morning was the focus of praise, and at night was the focus of thanksgiving. Folks, we need to do something as a church family right now. Something bold. Something that will honor and glorify God. That was a cue to turn this thing on. It's a time to give God praise. But we're not going to just pass the mics out. If you would like to give God praise, remember, praise is something you give God for who He is. So we don't want to hear right now about how he provided for you or how your car broke down and he sent an auto mechanic to fix it on the way to church. We want to hear praises to God, strictly about his character. The time will come for Thanksgiving. So what I'm going to do right now is open up the mic. We're going to make this very brief. You have 30 seconds or less. This isn't about to talk about time to talk about your backyard and your tree and the dog that goes around the tree. This isn't time to talk about how Uncle Joe cut you off on the way to church either. Amen? This is a time to give praise to God. So I'm going to open up the mic right now. If you would like, you can just make your way right up to the front. Give God praise. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.